The grass withers, the flower fades. But the word of our God stands forever. The word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. We're here this evening to study in the word of God. We are in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, and in particular, we've been looking at verses 16 through 26 for some time now. This is a very important section of Galatians dealing with the Holy Spirit and the flesh and the, basically the conflict between the two. And uh, we've been going over the principles. We are going to do a brief review, not of all of the principles tonight, but we're going to pick up a little bit of a review before we move on. And uh, we will reread this section. This is just such an important section uh, of, of the, the book of Galatians, and it has so much meaning in terms of the Christian life and how we are to function in the Christian life. Before we dive back into that uh, this evening, let's go ahead and take a moment for silent prayer, giving ourselves the opportunity to make sure that we are properly prepared for the study of the Word of God, confessing sins if necessary, humbling ourselves, setting aside distractions, and yielding to the teaching ministry of God the Holy Spirit. Shall we pray? Most gracious and merciful and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for blessing us with this opportunity to gather here at the church tonight. We thank you for the wonderful prayer meeting that we just had. We lift up those matters before you. We thank you for this opportunity to consider the truth of your word. We ask that you would help us (coughs) to set aside the distractions of daily life. Take this time to focus our attention in on what it is that your word can teach us. That through the ministry of your word, we would become stronger in our faith, draw closer to you, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray all of these things in his most precious and beautiful name. Amen. All right, we are going to read the translation that we worked on. You can see I've already incorporated it into my Galatians version of the translation that we do here starting in verse 16 now i say walk by means of the spirit and you will definitely not carry out the lusts of the flesh for the flesh has desires contrary to the spirit and the spirit contrary to the flesh for these are enemies of one another with the result that you may not do the things that you want to do pardon me verse 18 but since you're being led by the spirit you are not under the law and i want to just stop right there for a second and say Part of the reason that verse is included in this section is because of what Paul is addressing in terms of the Judaizers and how they're trying to impose the law upon the the believers in the Galatian churches. Verse 19, now the products of the flesh are evident, which are sexual immorality, moral impurity, debauchery, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, discord, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, heresies, envying, drunken sprees, excessive partying, and things like these. Let me scroll up. Of which I tell you in advance, just as I have previously warned you, that those who consistently engage in such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There is no law that prohibits such things. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and lusts. 
Since we are spiritually alive by means of the Spirit, let us also behave in accordance with the Spirit. Let us not be arrogant, provoking one another, envying one another. That is Galatians 5, verses 16 through 26. Now, I'm going to pick up here in your notes. I'm not sure if this is on page 20 or page 19. But we're highlighting the idea that our spiritual life is a continual battle between the flesh and the spirit. And as a result, we may do things that we do not want to do. And that, of course, we looked at previously looked at Romans 7, where Paul is basically railing about the fact that he does these things that he doesn't want to do. Uh, and his mind, his mind has one set of standards and his flesh has a different one. And there's this constant battle going on. And that's the life that we face. As believers, it's not as though the sin nature was eradicated. It's not as though we suddenly have no more temptations. It's not as though we live in a world where there's no evil. We are still existing. You, you went from an unbeliever to a believer. You were created a new creation in Christ. And you have been equipped with all sorts of, of tools, spiritual toolbox that allows you to function in this environment that we live in. But you still have enemies. I taught a series on the world, the flesh, and the devil. And we have those three major in- enemies. And when I say those things, we're talking about the cosmos world system. That's one enemy, right? The world system has been shaped by Satan himself. So the world system is an enemy. The flesh, the sin nature that dwells in our very flesh in these, in these bodies that are temporary. And then the devil, world, the flesh, and the devil. Well, the devil probably doesn't pay specific attention to you. Remember, God always keep in mind, Satan is not omniscient like God is. Satan doesn't know everything. Satan's a creature, right? But he's extremely smart, and he has a whole host of minions, right? Myriads and myriads of minions. And so... When the scriptures tell us that Satan prowls about like a lion seeking to devour, we must keep in mind that that includes Satan's army, if you will. They're all around. They're just looking for opportunity, right? They're everywhere. If we, if we had our eyes open and we were able to see the spiritual battles that are taking place right now, we would probably run and hide in the closet somewhere. <laughs> Honestly, we probably would. But what I'm getting at is that because of all these things that we have in terms of of an influence, in this case highlighting the flesh itself, sometimes we do things that we don't want to do. We allow ourselves to succumb to temptation. We end up doing something, whatever it is, and then we have serious regrets for doing it, right? That happens. And so that's one of the beautiful things about the fact that we have confession of sin so that we can be restored to fellowship. By the way, one of the important things about what we're learning in this section is we're emphasizing what Lewis Berry Chafer taught in his book, He That Is Spiritual, that fellowship, being filled with the Spirit, all of the things that we desire to have, walking in the light as He is in the light, uh, everything that we want to have that's part of a, a positive, victorious Christian walk entails more than simply confession of sin. I have known too many believers in my life that believe that 1 John 1, 9 is the answer to everything. But the problem is, I'm going to back up here and leave it at that first point. The problem is this. If all you, have, all you utilize is that one tool, that one thing that God has given us, confession of sin, 
then what's, what your spiritual life is going to look like is this. And what I'm doing here is this axis, what we're going to do is we're going to draw a line here. Well, that didn't work at all. Let's try again. And that line, what we're going to do with that line is we're going to use it to represent the idea of being filled with the Spirit in fellowship with God, functioning. Let's say we'll call that line functioning as we're supposed to in our Christian walk. But what you're going to find is that if all you utilize is 1 John 1, 9, your Christian walk is going to look like this. Maybe even like this. <laughs> and then... Because if all you're thinking about is confession of sin, so what happens is you confess your sin. When you confess your sin, your sins are forgiven and you're cleansed of all unrighteousness. You're once again restored to fellowship with God. First John 1 John 1.9 makes that very clear. But if you don't avail yourself of the rest of the things that not only are taught in, in uh, Lewis Berry Chafer's He That Is Spiritual, but they came from the Bible, more importantly, right? If that's all you do, then you're going to find yourself not very long afterwards sinning again. You're going to find yourself having to confess again. So you're going to confess, and then you're going to sin, and then you're going to confess, and then you're going to sin, and then you're going to confess. And that's what your spiritual life is going to look like. If instead you want your spiritual life, trying to find a different color. That's not a very good color, but we'll use it. If instead you want your spiritual life to look like this, where... You confess, you're restored to fellowship, and you have a long time that you stay walking in the light as he is in the light, and then something happens and you stumble, you confess again, and then you have a long time. If you want to do that, you've got to avail yourself of everything that God has given us, and we looked at all of that. You need to confess, you need to then walk by means of the Spirit, fix your eyes on Jesus, lay aside the old self, put on the new self, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. We looked at all those things. And these are not things that, I'm not the only one preaching these things. But I know a lot of believers that they simplify, try to simplify everything down to sim, the, the basically just simply confession of sin. But once you've confessed and you're restored, you need, to, you need to get your walk back focused on the Lord. You need to be refocused on the Lord because he's given you provision so that you won't fall back into sin again. But if you're not doing that, then you'll just, you'll just look like the blue line. I know you probably can't even hardly see that green line, can you? But it's there. It's there. Temptations may come our way, but it's when we give in to the temptations that we sin. That's very important because I know a lot of believers that they, they, they get freaked out whenever the, a temptation comes along. Well, no, this world is full of temptations. Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness for 40 days. There's temptations in this world. Uh, it's only when you give in that you sin. And 1 Corinthians 10:13 is so powerful because it says God will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we're able to bear. So wherever you are in your own spiritual walk, uh, wherever you are in your own spiritual walk, God knows where you are, and he's not going to allow temptation beyond what you're able to bear. And so that's that picture. We talked about it before, the idea of the hedge. He puts a hedge around you and protects you from temptations. Now, one of the things I want you to understand about what I said just a minute ago uh, about, about confession is, don't get me wrong, confession is an important aspect. When you, know, when you know you've fallen into sin, please avail yourself of 1 John 1, 9 and confess your sins. 
But that's not all there is to it. That's over, it's oversimplification to say that that's all there is to do. There's more that needs to be done. Relying upon the Holy Spirit and the Word of God implanted in our souls is, a criti- is critical during times of temptation in order to avoid, to avoid sin. And we actually looked at <clears throat> Luke 4, the temptation of Christ. And I actually, this is our scripture of the week this week. I sent out the email this is the one I've been talking about. I quoted it from the King James, but this is Psalm 119.11. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. What that says, not only this verse, but others like it, what it says is that literally the word of God dwelling richly within your soul helps to prevent you from succumbing to sin. That's what it says, that I may not sin against you. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. And the idea is, you notice the, the, you notice the mental attitude that this person has treasuring the word of God, right? Treasuring the things of the word of God. That's part of what makes it effective, right? Is that there's this, this love of the word itself. Relying upon the leading of the spirit is critical in ascertaining the specific details of the will of God for our lives. We talked about that <clears throat> Important to understand that uh, the majority of what we need to know about the will of God is in the scriptures. But there are going to be certain times where we're looking for specific details. But I believe that the passage in James, where where it says... I'll get to it eventually. There it is, verse 5, James 1, 5. But any of you, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith, without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the fee, sea, excuse me, driven and tossed by the wind. Uh, that For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded. And, and there's a lot I can talk about this. I've taught James multiple times. There's a lot I can say about this. But if you go back to verse 5, if you're, if you're walking by means of the Spirit, if you're walking by faith, pretty sure the Scripture tells us we're supposed to do that too, right? <laughs> walking by faith, then you can ask God for wisdom. And wouldn't you agree, wouldn't you agree that understanding the will of God is wisdom? That fits into the category of wisdom. You're asking for wisdom in regard to the will of God in a specific situation. So, that verse tells me that if you're looking for a specific guidance in a particular situation, ask God, and he'll give it to you. He'll give you the wisdom. He'll give you the understanding of what his will is for you in that situation. <clears throat> did I? All right, did I switch over there? This leading from the Spirit within our souls comes from, uh, this leading comes from the Spirit within our souls and gives us the opportunity to volitionally respond and then put into action, right? So in other words, you get the leading of the Spirit. We were kind of having a conversation about this in the prayer meeting. You get the leading from the Spirit, and when we do, you can either respond and say, no, I think I know better, or <laughs> right, or you can follow the leading of the Spirit. So that's the whole thing. I mean, uh, I think a lot of times that we get that little nudge from the Spirit, we don't always respond. But we have the opportunity to. Leading of the Spirit, by the way, never contradicts the word, of the word of God. Extremely important. He will never contradict the things of the Word of God. And we're, when we're walking in accordance with the Spirit, the law is fulfilled in us. Very important concept that, he ta- that Paul talks about in Romans. But if you think about it, Galatians 
really is the template for what eventually became the book of Romans. And in, in the idea that you don't, you don't have to try to do all the things of the law is implicit here in Galatians. And then Paul teaches it in the book of Romans that when you're walking the way you're supposed to walk, then the law is actually fulfilled in you by God. <clears throat> then we started looking at the sin nature. We're not going to go through all the scriptures on this. Whoops, one too many. We started looking at the sin nature and what it produces. And I, I will remind you every time on this, we have the products of the sin nature, plural. And what that means is that when you succumb and you fall into sin, you won't be guilty of all of this. Maybe only one, maybe two. So when you fall into sin, it's not going to be every one of these categories. When we get to the fruit of the Spirit, it's singular. And when we're walking by means of the Spirit, when we're bearing forth the fruit of the Spirit, we will bear forth all of those things. Very important to have that distinction. But here's some things that you might have in your life as a result of the sin nature. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, debauchery, idolatry, sorcery. And idolatry is not, again, I have to emphasize, that's not the little statue on your fireplace mantle. It can be anything. Idolatry is anything. If you worship anything that's not God, that's idolatry. Yeah, your phone. Yeah, I mean, a lot of kids today. I mean, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I spend too much time on my phone probably. But um, I know Terry and I went to a restaurant, local restaurant. We were at Pockets, actually, over in, uh, in Smithville. And we were sitting there looking around, and there was this, fam- <coughs> this family at the table. Here they are. They're sitting around a table. They're out at a restaurant. Everyone, not just the kids, the parents, everyone was on their phone. Nobody was talking to each other. They were on their phone. But... Excuse me. One of my favorite commercials in recent years was this dad uh, and his two daughters. This dad and his two daughters were sitting on the couch, and he's sitting right between them. He's got one daughter on each side. He kind of looks over and goes, "Are you guys texting each other?" And one of the daughters went, "Well, yeah." (laughs) Here they are. They're sitting on the couch, just right there next to each other, and they're texting each other. So you can worship anything. It could be your phone. It could be. It could be, um, I, see, I see idolatry in terms of sports figures. I mean, there are people who absolutely idolize sports figures and Hollywood stars to the point where, I mean, I always get a kick out of, you have these LeBron Jameses, you have these uh, uh, whoever else, pick somebody that's a Hollywood star, Brad Pitt, whoever it might be. They come out and they start talking about politics. And I'm thinking to myself, why does your political opinion matter any more than the next person? You're just a person. You know, you happen to be somebody who stars in movies or you happen to be somebody who can slam dunk a basketball. But why is your political opinion even any more important? But see, there's people who idolize them to the point where if LeBron James comes out and says that this is good and this is bad, they're going to go with it, right? They literally idolize them to that level. It's crazy. They put an athlete's opinion over the word of God. That's idolatry. Sorcery, we looked at that in Deuteronomy there. Believe it or not, there's a lot there's a lot going on these days with witchcraft and sorcery. Uh it's a, it's, there's been a there's been a rise in that over the past few years where there's a lot of you know, and it's interesting because uh people will these people will tell you, "Yeah, but I'm a good witch." Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Great. I feel better now, you know, so it uh, doesn't really make me feel better. Um, 
enmities. I mean, God really doesn't desire for us to be at enmity. Remember, we have the verse that says, in as much as it's up to you, be at peace with all men. Now, what that means is it's very important what that verse says, because there's going to be certain people that you don't get along with, but it's not your fault. I mean, what are you going to do, right? There are certain people, you do everything in your power to try to have a, a, a good relationship with them, and they just refuse. Well, there's nothing you can do. But he doesn't desire for us to have enmity, and especially within the body of Christ. We're not supposed to be at enmity with one another. Uh, discord is the same kind of concept, except that's where enmity has actually turned into the point where you have clashes and you actually have people that are at odds with one another to, to the level where they're actually kind of not getting along. Same thing with disputes, right? And disputes can get into the category even where you get into people disputing about different things. I mean, you had a dispute with your son, Joseph. I mean, you had disputes going on there. Well, God doesn't want us to have disputes, especially he doesn't want us to have disputes over his word, over things of that nature, right? We're not supposed to have disputes. Jealousy is a big one, right? Jealousy is a problem because uh, God, God uh, doesn't... God, now, it's interesting. God is a jealous God. But what does that mean when we say that? We means, it means that he doesn't want us to worship anybody but him. It doesn't mean sinful kind of jealousy. We're not talking about that. In terms of jealousy in us, Satan uses that. Satan uses jealousy to ruin relationships, to get people to get into enmities and discord and disputes. Jealousy can be the fire behind that kind of thing, right? The jealousy that people have. <clears throat> Outbursts of anger. Really, obviously, the sin nature can produce anger and, you know, mental sin of anger. But this is specifically talking about outbursts of anger where we express our anger, anger outwardly. Dissensions, heresy, envying. Dissensions, really, it's interesting, how many, it's interesting how many of these things listed here have to do with conflict between people, isn't it? Disputes, discord, enmities, dissensions. Why do, you think that, why do you think Paul highlighted all of that? Don't you reckon if he highlighted those in, the, in four different words in this list, don't you reckon there were dissensions and discord and disputes going on in the Galatian churches? Probably because of the Judaizers, right? These Judaizers were coming in and they, <clears throat> the Judaizers were coming in and they were trying to impose the law, either circumcision or following uh, calendars, the feasts and whatnot. They were coming in and doing that. And so in, in I'm, this, I'm speculating here because we don't have anything specifically saying this, but in reply to that, the people that were trying to stay the course, probably got into the place where they were butting heads with the believers in the church that were following what the Judaizers were having. So clearly there was, there was some stuff going on in those churches where the Judaizers had created dissension and disputes and all of this kind of thing, right? And he's telling them, look, that's not, that's not of God. That's coming from the sin nature, right? That's what he's telling them here. And, and, it, and, and in particular, by saying that, He's pointing the finger at the Judaizers. These guys came in and started causing trouble, and they, they brought all this on us. Heresies, I think he's, he's actually addressing them as well in that, because what they were saying was heretical, right, that you, you have to follow the law in order to be acceptable before God in the church. Uh, envying goes with jealousy, same kind of thing, right, envy. Drunken sprees and excessive partying, 
Now we're into a whole new category, but remember the times we're in. Remember the times we're in. We are in a period where Rome was doing quite well. But we're also in a period where Rome, when I say doing quite well, I'm talking about that Rome had pretty much sway, right? They had a lot of territory. They were, they were having military victories. They had a lot of control and so on. However, comma, also during this time, Rome was doing exactly what the United States is doing right now in that they were going into all kinds of just moral and sexual depravity. They were, they were, they were all kinds of horrible... They were imploding with, with, with sexual immorality taking place, uh, all kinds of other things going on. And so the idea of drunken sprees and excessive partying, that's the kind of thing that was going on in Rome. I mean, they basically were... I mean, even in the early church, if you remember uh, 1 Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians when he talks about the love feasts, so I want you to know, so when he talks about that in 1 Corinthians 11, I want you to know that in the early church... People would get together for these agape love feasts, and what they were really all about is they would go there and they would drink of the cup and eat of the bread, and it was all about honoring the Lord Jesus Christ. It was basically a way that they would do, they would get together and basically do a communion, if you will, right? It was, a, it was actually a wonderful thing in its genesis. Well, what it ended up turning into is they would go there and get drunk on the wine. They weren't just having a little cup. They were getting drunk on the wine. They were bringing prostitutes in and having sex at these supposedly agape love feasts that were supposed to be honoring the Lord. And that's what he rails on in 1 Corinthians 11. So this is the thing. You've got to realize what the influence is there. You've got a massive influence of the Roman Empire on the whole world that's bringing a lot of this uh, debauchery, drunken sprees, excessive partying. All of that's taking place. So he brings all of these things up. And I have a feeling the list, of the, the list of these things is important because of what's going on in Galatia with the churches in the Galatian region. Now, the indwelling Holy Spirit, however, produces something quite different. This is new. Everything else we did up to this point was review. This is the fruit of the Spirit, love, agape love. Romans 5, 1 through 5. Therefore, having been justified as a result of faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have also obtained access to this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also rejoice in our tribulations. Wait, what? (laughs) We're supposed to. Rejoice in our tribulations, knowing well that tribulation brings about perseverance. I'm pretty sure James talked about something very similar to that. Tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope, and hope does not disappoint, because God's love has been poured out generously within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. I want you to understand that the proper Christian function of love, I'm talking about in terms of agape love, is the love which God has poured out within us in other words we 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 don't do it naturally god is manifesting his love in us do you understand what i'm saying the ability to love that way is something god is manifesting in us 
And so, you know, friendship love, phileo, philos love, that kind of thing, that's something that, that any, any human being can do, right? Friendship love. Agape love is a special kind of love <clears throat> that is poured out generously within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So one of the first thing on the list, right, of fruit of the Spirit is love. 1 Corinthians 13, 13, but now faith, hope, love, abide these three, but the great of, greatest of these is love. Faith is important. Wouldn't you agree? Hope is pretty important. I think we're supposed to function in hope. Remember hope in the, in the Bible is talking about confident expectation, not just the wishfulness. So faith and hope, those are tremendously important. But then there's love, and Paul says the greatest of these is love, essentially the most important. And I always talk about this, you know, the Apostle John is known as the Apostle of Love. Because he talks about love quite a bit. But I'm telling you right now, Paul talks about love a lot. He emphasizes love a, a lot in his writings. Yes, sir. Well, I think interestingly, it's an interesting way to say that, that we are our faith, our faith is in uh, things unseen, right? Our faith is in, 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 uh, in what God has is not only done, but promised to do, right? Hope is an expectation, a confident expectation. So when we're in eternity, when we're, when we're in heaven, like if I were to die right now and go and be face to face with Christ, my faith and my hope have somewhat been realized. You're exactly right now, but love continues on. Love doesn't stop there. Love keeps going, right? But, I mean, I think we still have faith and hope uh, even then when we're in heaven, but it's different, right? Because now we're face-to-face -face with Christ. It's, a, it's at a different level. But I think love continues on. I think that's an interesting point you make. Yeah, that's an interesting point. But I still think all three are important. In fact, Paul's not saying... <clears throat> <coughs> yeah, it's very important. It's, that's coming alongside is very important in that regard. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, because that because that builds us up in our faith, it gives it strengthens our hope, gives us more capacity to love, and so on. Colossians three twelve through fourteen. Therefore, being those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved by God, put on a heart of mercy, kindness, humility, considerateness, and patience toward others putting up with one another. <clears throat> I remember when we did this translation, this is really what it means is, I mean, sometimes don't you feel like you have to put up with other people? I know I do, but it's okay. We're supposed to do that in the grace and the love of God, putting up with one another and graciously forgiving each other. Whoever has a valid reason to complain against anyone in the same way that the Lord graciously forgave you, you should forgive others also. Now that's pretty powerful. And then in verse 14, it says, Beyond all these things. That was pretty good already, right? This was pretty good in verses 12 and 13. And then in verse 14, he says, Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the uniting bond of maturity. <clears throat> and what he's saying with that is, <coughs> pardon me for my throat. <clears throat> what he's saying with that is, love is a function of maturity, and love is something that brings unity within the body of Christ. Think about it. If we're able to express agape love to one another, it brings about unity within the body of Christ. Now, 
There's always going to be discrepancies in terms of uh, things that what we what we believe. I've talked about this kind of thing before. Uh, we had so we had a, a young man come into this church who believed in the, a different thing in terms of the timing of the rapture. He thought the rapture was going to be mid-trib. And he and I had wonderful discussions about it, and we agreed to disagree. And I love him like a like a brother, not just a brother in Christ, but like a brother in my family. I love, I love him. So uh, we, if we function in that kind of love, it brings about unity, a uniting bond of maturity. <clears throat> joy. I reckon that's pretty important that we be able to have joy. Romans 14, 16, and 17 says, Therefore do not let what you reckon to be a good thing to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness is important because that's hand in hand with the joy that we're going to have because the joy that we have is the joy in the Lord. So we're not experiencing joy in things that are unrighteous. We're experiencing joy in things that are righteous. Peace, that's the peace of God. That's Philippians 4, 7, peace, right? The peace which surpasses understanding. The Philippians 4, 7, peace. But joy. God desires that we have joy. And again, remember how I define joy and the scriptures define it this way. I like the way they translate it in the New, New American Standard. Happiness is based on circumstances. Joy is not. Joy is something that we can have regardless of circumstances. Romans fifteen thirteen. Now may the God who gives hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will be enriched with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now notice, the God who gives hope, may the God who gives hope, that's how it starts, and then the end of this is so that you will be enriched with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. In the middle of this, though, Paul says, may the God who gives hope fill you with all joy and and peace in believing. So where does our joy come from? It comes from God. He's the one that fills us with joy and peace. And notice it says in believing. So what is believing? That's faith. That's faith. We walk by faith. 1 Thessalonians 1, 6 says, You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation, with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Now notice what it says. The joy of the Holy Spirit. goes on to say, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. Now, imitators of us and of the Lord. Very important. I don't want you to imitate me if what I'm doing is not in, in, a, in accordance with the Lord. right? Don't imitate me when I do stupid things. Imitate me when I'm doing the things of the Lord, imitators of us and of the Lord. <clears throat> and then this is so important. Having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So they were experiencing tribulation, difficulty, persecution, problems. And yet they received the word with the joy of the Holy Spirit. And again, that language is important because that, again, the Holy Spirit is the one who allows us to have that kind of joy. Peace. John 16:33 you might reckon you know what this one is these things i have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace 
in the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. And Jesus is the same one who said there will be wars and rumors of wars until I return, until I come. Well, the peace he's talking about here is for us, the peace, the inner peace that we can have. I have spoken these things, these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In me you may have peace. But he goes on to make sure you understand in the world you're going to have tribulation. But don't worry. And it's interesting because Jesus said, I have overcome the world. Sure seems like Satan's having his run, isn't he? He's, he's doing whatever he wants in this crazy world we live in. And it's all, in our own country, we're watching the absolute and utter degradation of the culture. We have people who I don't even know. I don't even understand. I'll be honest with you. I am blown away by the number of people who are blindly accepting the idea that gender is a spectrum. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. Well, the stupidest thing I ever heard of and, and that I can remember recently is the defund the police thing. That was, a, that was just plain stupid. But the idea that there's a spectrum of genders, I guess the better word for that is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Uh, there's two genders. I mean, I promise you, I promise you without question, and, and there's individuals who would try to tell you otherwise. Without question, if I take a DNA sample from you and I send it into a lab, they can tell me, are you male or female? Not, well, he's mostly male and partly female. No, <laughs> one or the other. So like if they find at a crime scene, if they find a DNA and they send it in and they think it's the perpetrator's DNA, they can say, we're looking for a male. Right? We're looking for a male. There's two genders. Where I'm going with this is that Jesus said he's overcome the world. And yet we live in a world that seems to be going further and further into insanity land. Right? What he means by that is this world is functioning right now in the permissive will of God. Because Jesus already, Jesus already defeated the cosmos system at the cross. It's done. It's over. It's done. Now, the realization of that is not yet here, but it's a done deal. That's what he's telling you. Don't worry about the world. I've already overcome the world. I mean, if you think about it, what Jesus did on the cross has facilitated my salvation and eternal life. And I already am saved, but part of what, but part of what came to me as part of a salvation grace package is I'm going to receive a resurrection body that I'm going to live in for all of eternity. Well, that hasn't happened yet, has it? But it will. I know it's going to happen. So my point is, <clears throat> there are things that Jesus accomplished on the cross that have not come to fruition yet. And one of those is the fact that he destroyed this. He basically overcame the world, right? The world. Now, he said in John 16, 33, this is the upper room discourse. He said, I have overcome the world. He hadn't gone to the cross yet, but he knew he was going to the next day. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, Do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be expressed to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will protect your hearts and your thoughts in Christ Jesus. That's a wonderful promise. Not only will we have peace if we learn how to turn everything over to God, 
right? We will have peace. But that peace that we experience, which comes from God, will protect our hearts and our thoughts. Think about that for a second. The peace of God itself will protect our hearts and our thoughts in Christ Jesus. That's awesome. And if you think about it, it makes perfect sense because when you're functioning in that way, when you have that kind of peace, you're functioning at a level. I, this, is, this is one thing I will say that uh, I, I really, <clears throat> I don't preach about it probably enough. But when you're, when you're walking the way you're supposed to walk and when you are having this peace, which is talked about here in Philippians 4, 7, you're going to have a clarity of thinking that you won't have otherwise, right? If you think about it, if you're wrapped around the axle, if you're agitated, if you're wrapped around the axle and anxious and worried and all, you're not thinking clearly anymore, right? Your thoughts are not, you're not thinking clearly at that point. When you're at this place, when you're at Philippians 4, 7 place, when you have the peace of God, in your, in your soul, you have a clarity of thought. You're able to see things clearly. And that's kind of what this is talking about. There's this protection of your hearts and your thoughts in Christ Jesus. You're taking every thought captive in obedience to Christ, right? That's what's happening when you're functioning that way. This is, that, just think about it. It only makes sense because you're not, in, you're not in turbulence, right? Mental turbulence. You're not all over the place, you know? It even can affect you physically. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Blood pressure, other than they, we already we know this that there's an effect, right? Where you are in your soul has an effect on your physical health, absolutely. But mentally, even your mental health, right? The, this this peace will give you a clarity of thought and help you to uh, make the right kinds of decisions and so on, all of that sort of thing. This is where you want to be when you're making critical decisions. It's where you want to be really every, all, every moment of every day as a, as a born-again believer. That's how you want to be. Colossians 3.15 says, let the peace of Christ guide the decisions in your hearts. That's what I was just talking about. Let the peace of Christ guide the decisions in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and prove yourselves to be thankful. If we have that peace, we're able to think clearly. We can make, the, we can make decisions according to the things of God. Patience. <clears throat> and that's always a tough one to talk about because people always say that they want patience, but they don't really want what it takes to get patience. Because God, if we ask for patience, <clears throat> God's going to give us the ability to learn to be patient, but usually it's a rough road to get there. It's a hard lesson. That's right. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And I want you to notice, <clears throat> with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. Don't you think that, you think that requires some patience? Yeah. I mean, when we are around someone that is difficult to deal with, it takes immense patience to be able to respond in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And you think about this, this is exactly what these believers in the Galatian churches needed to be able to do with those, not only the Judaizers, but also the ones that were trying to influence the believers there in Galatia. They needed to be able to tolerate others and allow the Lord to teach them what was right and so on. 
But this is important. Humility, gentleness, patience, tolerance, true tolerance, by the way, not the modern definition of tolerance, which is actually intolerance. I don't know if you've actually really looked at it, but it is. It's intolerance because people that talk about tolerance will say that they're tolerant, but if you don't believe what they believe, they won't tolerate you. I'm serious. That's the truth. It's the definition of intolerance, actually, even though they say tolerance. It's a lie. They say they're tolerant, but they're not. Uh, Colossians 1, 9 through 12. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray on your behalf and to ask that you may be filled up spiritually with the full knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and all spiritual understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Notice we've gotten two of these passages talking about walking in a manner worthy. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, desiring to please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work and being spiritually matured by the full knowledge of God, empowered with all capability in accordance with his glorious might, resulting in all steadfastness and joyful patience. Joyful patience. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. <clears throat> joyful patience. Wait a minute. So you mean I can actually be joyful while I'm patient? Absolutely you can. And that's really important. Because if your patience is gritting your teeth and grumbling and fuming, (laughs) and it seems like patience because you're biding your time, that's not true patience. The patience that we're supposed to have, which is the patience which God gives us as we mature in the faith, should be joyful. You should be able to be Absolutely filled with joy while you're being patient. Very important distinction. First Timothy 1, 15 and 16 is a trustworthy statement <clears throat> deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am the foremost of all. Yet for this reason I found mercy so that in me as the foremost Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience. Now, notice what it says. As an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. In other words, we can look to Christ and we can look to his patience and see it as an example for us in our own life. And Paul is saying, Jesus was patient with me while I was running around persecuting Christians, while I was throwing them in jail, while I was executing them, while I was sitting by, while Stephen was being stoned to death. Jesus was patient with me. Because he wanted me to come to the point of repentance and faith in him. And that patience that he demonstrated there is an example for all of us, right? Think about this for a second. There's somebody who is absolutely somebody that you can't stand. They oppose you. They do things uh, that are against God and you know it. Patiently bear with them. I'm not saying spend all your day with them. I'm saying patiently bear with them. Because God may be in the process of bringing them to a place where they're going to realize, repent, and believe in Christ. You don't know. You don't know where it is. And also, rewind and remember yourself before you came to faith in Jesus Christ. Like I say, I got saved when I was 16. I don't even want to talk to you about what I did when I was 16. Did I say 17 or 16? I got saved when I was 17. I don't even want to talk to you about what I did when I was 16. 
leading up the year before I got saved, I mean, I did things that were horrible, absolutely horrible. Treated my mom in horrible ways, did all sorts of horrible things. I don't even want to tell you what I did. But the bottom line of it all is God was patient with me. And that patience that Jesus showed to Paul, the patience that Jesus shows in his life is an example to all of us. Kindness. I'm looking at the clock. We're actually out of time. So we'll come back and we'll look at kindness next time. We'll look at some verses on that. We'll do a brief review of those first few things on the fruit of the Spirit. But these, I've got to tell you, this, this, we've spent some time on this section. This is a really important section of the book of Galatians. What Paul talks about here, the battle that goes on between the flesh and the Spirit. When he has this section in Galatians 5 where he talks about the, the products of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. And he brings all these things. This is hugely important. For us as believers to understand, because what he's spelling out for us is a matter of uh, a matter of, of how we can live our lives in a way that is producing the fruit of the spirit that's, that's honoring God and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in particular. And really, <clears throat> we have this whole section. If honestly, if you if you were to if you were to start out as a baby believer and you were to try to give them some basic instruction. In the Christian life, this section would be extremely important. I mean, this I can't emphasize enough how important it is to spend time looking at these concepts and understand what, how meaningful this all is. When, when we're filled with the Spirit, walking by means of the Spirit, yielded to Him, fixing our eyes on Jesus and so on, and we're walking in that way that we're supposed to walk, that, that solid green line at the top, like I painted here. Like when we're walking this way and we're solid green line at the top, we're going, to, we're going to exhibit all of these characteristics and more. You're going to see when I talk about this that this is not an exhaustive list. This is a list of positive things that the Holy Spirit produces in us, but this, is even, this isn't even a complete list. It's even more than that. And, but the point being is that Paul is spelling out to us the right way to live our lives as Christians. And he's also making it clear that there's a wrong way. And by the way, that one verse we had where he said, look, I've told you before and I'll tell you again that people who do all of these things continually do all these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. What he's really saying there is that's the way unbelievers behave. That's what he's saying. This is, this is characteristics of an unbeliever. So as believers, we should not want to behave that way. Amen? Right? That's what unbelievers do. Why are we acting like that? We, we've had, uh, the, the time is sufficient to have acted like that. Right? That's, that's, I'm quoting another verse. We've had plenty of time in our lives to do all that foolishness. Let's not do that anymore. Let's walk the way we're supposed to walk. Let's, let's function in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness, faithfulness self-control, all the things that are in the list, right? Let's, let's function that way. And that's why this section is so important because really it's, it's, it's a foundational piece of instruction for how, the, how a Christian life should be lived. And, and the key to the whole thing is, I can't emphasize enough, is a reliance upon God the Holy Spirit. That's it. Because the way you're going to succeed is relying upon Him. You can't produce these things on your own. You can't do it. It's not a legalistic observance at all. This is what the Holy Spirit produces in you. Let's go ahead and close in prayer.
Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to look at these verses tonight, to consider these wonderful aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. Father, we really do thank you from the bottom of our hearts that the Christian life that we have to live is one that's based upon faith, one that's based upon obedience, relying upon you. It's not like we can grit our teeth and force ourselves to be any of these things. It doesn't work that way. The love that we're supposed to have comes from you. The joy that we're supposed to have comes from you. The peace that we're supposed to have comes from you. The patience, the kindness, everything we look at is all supposed to come from you. It comes from the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. So you have made our Christian walk a walk of dependence upon you. And so each of us needs to realize that we need to have our own personal declaration of dependence upon you. And that's the key to a successful Christian walk. And it doesn't mean that there's not things for us to do. We, we had that discussion on, on Sunday when Jeff was here talking about the works which you prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. You've given us work assignments. We can be your fellow workers. But all along the way, we are dependent upon you. Help us to recognize that we can, as believers, act just like an unbeliever. We can, we can engage in all the filth and all the garbage that comes with that. But you've designed a life for us that doesn't do that, that we walk the way we're supposed to walk, that we glorify and honor our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ with everything we think, everything we say, and everything we do. Help us day by day to avail ourselves of all that you have provided so that we can live a victorious Christian life and guide people to you as we image Jesus Christ to others around us. Father, we thank you for these reminders. We thank you for this wonderful passage. We thank you for all of these things, all of your precious word. In Jesus Christ's most precious and holy name, amen.